1: Memorial Day has a real significance in, um, in my family, that uh, both in, uh, in my grandparents' generation, on both my mom's side and on my dad's side, my adoptive father's side of the family, the favorite sons of both of those families gave their lives to preserve our freedom in the Second World War. and uh, You know, Memorial Day is when we remember the men and women who gave their lives. Maybe I could get a little less reverb from the booth. But Memorial Day is uh, the day when we remember the men and women who gave their lives so that our freedom that I believe God gave this nation would be preserved. But uh, this Memorial Day is also Pentecost Sunday which is the day that God poured out his spirit on the church, which was the fulfillment of the inner freedom and powerful inheritance that Jesus gave his life to secure for us. So Memorial Day, or Remembrance Day, as we call it in Canada, uh, has a real significance, like I said, for, uh, for my family. And both my great uncles, Skip Irvin and John Monckton, were the favored sons in their families in my grandparents' generation. They were both men of valor, of honor. And there is a scholarship at St. Mark's School and at Harvard University named for my great uncle Skip. And that, that prize is rewarded uh, to the student or faculty who best exemplifies the character of my great uncle who, while at St. Mark's, at Brantwood, at Harvard, and in service to his country, seldom missed an opportunity to do a kindness or to lend a hand. And I've been reflecting as I've become a um, as I've grown up, you know, when I was a kid, their names weren't as significant to me as they are now. Because I think as kids, the idea of life and death and the honor for our parents and becoming heir to our families aren't like the first things on our minds. But as I've grown and as my parents have prepared me to receive an inheritance from them. I've become just so much more grateful and so much more honoring of the legacy of my family and the ones that have gone before me. And I feel like that's the maturing that happens in all of our lives, both in the natural, in our natural families, but also uh, as sons and daughters, as heirs to the kingdom of heaven, that as we grow, our understanding of Christ's sacrifice and our inheritance as sons and daughters becomes so much more profound. You know, the kingdom of heaven is about sacrifice, but not sacrifice in vain. You know, and we we preach about tithing and we preach about giving almost every week, which is sacrifice, but it's sacrifice with expectation. We're not giving just so our money goes into a pit somewhere, we're giving with the expectation that as we sow into God's house, as we sow into his kingdom, that his kingdom would expand. And as we get to know him as a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children and to mature them, that we expect to be matured, to be grown, to ultimately be blessed by him as we give. And I'm so grateful that our pastors operate that way. I'm so grateful for Pastor Jurgen and Leanne. And for those of you who are new to the church, they gave up their dreams. They left their homeland. They mortgaged their dream house to come here to build a church in San Diego, expecting that God's kingdom would expand, that there would be a great harvest of souls in San Diego. And Pastor John and Becky, uh, both Pastor Jurgen and Leanne, and Pastor John and Becky, but Pastor John and Becky, who are the regional pastors over the central region, they really sacrificed during COVID, telling their kids, "Hey, mommy and daddy could be arrested tonight, but we know that we need to keep church open because there are so many people that are suffering." And there were people in our church that died as the result of, of drug overdoses, marriages that were destroyed during COVID because of the isolation from keeping uh, God's people from coming together. And so Pastor John and Becky, Pastor Jurgen and Leanne were willing to lay down their lives but not in vain. And during COVID, our church doubled in size. And today, there's over 15,000 people that call Awakened Church home. There are tens of thousands of lives that have been transformed, people that have gone from sick to well, from poor to prospering, from barren to fruitful, marriages, homes, children returning to their parents that would not have happened if it weren't for the sacrifice of our pastors I love that. And Jesus gave his life to buy back our freedom and secure our foundation, but he also died to restore our standing as firstborn sons, heirs to the kingdom of heaven. Our inheritance on earth is the Holy Spirit, which was poured out on Pentecost Sunday, and so what a perfect pairing of Sundays to be celebrating Memorial Day as we p- we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. And you know the devil knows that he can't steal our salvation. That as Christians we are sealed by the blood of the Lamb. He can confuse us about our salvation, but he can't steal it. So what he primarily goes after is our spiritual inheritance, our blessing from God, the power and the authority that we're meant to walk in while we're here on earth. He wants us to live as, like, neutered Christians, the ones that can't sow seeds of faith into the earth, that can't operate under the blessing of God. In the story of Jacob and Esau in the Bible, Jacob first finds Esau in a desperate situation and gets him to give up his rights as the firstborn son for some food. Anybody reminded of another story in the Bible where the firstborn son gave up his rights as the firstborn for some food? Jacob doesn't stop there though, he uses deception to steal his brother's spiritual blessing, his spiritual inheritance from his father. And Jacob is a type of devil in the Old Testament, but he's also a representation of all of us. And that Jacob's not the preferred son. And Isaac's actually not a very good father. That he makes it real clear that Esau is his favorite. You know, and uh, well, why don't you come with me in your Bibles to Genesis 27, and we're just going to look at verses 18 to 35. So this is Jacob. Jacob went to his father and said, "My father," and Isaac, uh, he, and he said, "Here I am. Uh, who are you, my son?" And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game so that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it? How have you found this game so quickly, my son? And Jacob said, because the Lord your God has brought it to me. And Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really Esau my son or not so Jacob went near to Isaac his father and he felt him and said the voice is Jacob's voice but the hands are the hands of Esau and he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau so he blessed him and then he said are you really my son Esau Jacob said I am And Isaac said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. And his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and he kissed him and Isaac smelled the smell of his clothing and he blessed him and said, surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field, which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brothers and let your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be anyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had scarcely gone out of the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother came in from hunting. He also made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And the father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who, who, where? where's the one that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, saying to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. So when Rebecca was pregnant with the twins, Esau and Jacob, God came to her and said that Jacob would be blessed. But when they were born, Esau was born strong. He was like the man's man. He was hairy. He was an outdoorsman. You know, even when Isaac smelled him, he said, oh, my son smells like a field that the Lord has blessed. He's a great hunter. He's strong. He's everything that a father would want his boy to be. Jacob is hairless, which I guess is equated with masculinity at that, at that time. And he likes to, he's kind of a mama's boy. He stays at home in the tent with his mom and he is not the favored son. And as a result, Jacob developed this kind of bitterness, this self doubt, this orphaned spirit, and he's always clamoring for blessing. And I would suggest that Jacob's not so different than a lot of us that are filled with self-doubt that have been orphaned by not getting the affirmation, the blessing of our fathers. And to be blessed, there has to be a blessor. That you can't bless yourself. That's why probably any of you that have tried positive affirmations, like it feels a little bit hollow, right? just staring at yourself in the mirror and being like, you are wealthy, you are great-looking, you are popular, when everybody else in the world is saying that you're not those things. You can't, like, hype yourself into it. You need a blesser. And I'll I'll give you an example of this. You if, uh, if you were playing basketball down at the like, local Boys and Girls Club on the court and some like, random old man came by and said, hey, you're pretty good, you'd probably just be like, hey, thanks. But if Michael Jordan was walking by and is like, man, I've never seen skills like that. You know, you're like a diamond in the rough. Like, it may, may take some polishing, but I think you can do better than me it would have different weight because that's a blessing coming from somebody that has authority. So in my grandparents' families, the favorite sons both died in the war and their parents both let them know that they'd wished that it was them instead. But thank God, my grandfather on my dad's side and my grandmother on my mom's side didn't let that ruin them but instead of having it ruin them, they recognized their parents' pain and instead used, it, used their own feelings of rejection to be incredible includers. And I've talked about this before, but like when my stepdad uh, became my adopted father, his dad sat him down and told him how important it was that he should always make me feel included. And so, when he started dating my mom, he started dating me. And we had Boys Night Out every Tuesday night, come hell or high water. We would go out and play mini golf. We would go to the movies. We would go to dinner. We had an activity planned every Tuesday night for years and years and years. It only stopped because I stopped it when I was in junior high. But Boys Night Out was a staple. And his dad, like, even outdid him of never making me feel like the stepchild grandson, but making me feel equal to all of the other grandkids, and he went over and above knowing that I probably had some real insecurity of growing up with a father who had rejected me in his own pain, that I was the only grandson that was invited on a cross country trip with my grandfather, that he would take me for a month at a time during the summers. taught me how to split wood with axes, did all of the things, you know, of really instilling manhood on me. But all of that came out of the pain of him feeling rejected by his parents as the not preferred son. And I think that there's, a, there's something where it, value has been instilled at a young age, and they both sides grew up in Christian schools, And having that instilling of faith and having that instilling of relationship with the ultimate heavenly heavenly father, no matter how failed our earthly fathers may be, knowing that God is our perfect heavenly father when we have a relationship with him. Declaring God's word over ourselves in relationship with our Heavenly Father is a lot different than just declaring empty words of man over our lives. That saying that when I know confidently that I am a son of God and that with that firstborn status that was restored through Jesus— that I have the rights to all of the other things that the sons of God are promised in the Bible, when I declare those things over my life, they don't ring hollow. Make sense? So the devil wants us to be poor and powerless, but not God. No good father wants the lives of his children to suck and to be blessed by God, you actually have to be in relationship with him. It says in Romans eight fourteen through 17, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So most of you know from experience that not all of us live feeling like we are kings and queens here on the earth. Amen? So not all of us operate in the authority or confidence of beloved sons and daughters. We may parrot the words here, but they haven't penetrated here. And as sons and daughters of God, heirs and firstborn status of Adam, we're meant to live as kings and queens uh, here on earth as a royal priesthood. There is a verse in Hebrews that talks about the new Jerusalem. And it says that we have come to the new Jerusalem, the church of the firstborn. That it's a, it was something that while I was preparing for this message was just really blowing my mind, that in Luke 3, in the genealogy of Christ through Mary at the very end, it's like the son of Seth, who was the son of Enosh, who was the son of Adam, who was the son of God. That you'll hear teaching in church that Jesus was God's one and only son. The Bible doesn't say that. It says that Jesus was God's one begotten son. Adam wasn't begotten. He wasn't naturally birthed. He was formed by God's hand. But he was created for sonship. The devil talked him out of his firstborn rights in favor of taking food that wasn't his. But Jesus came to restore that status of the firstborn. And as we are all sons and daughters of Adam, we are all heirs to the firstborn rights of Adam. There's no hierarchy amongst the sons and daughters of Adam. That parents in our own failed human way may secretly or not so secretly have favorites in Our families, but God doesn't operate that way. There's no partiality within Him. And it's great news that God doesn't pick favorites, but we can see through the Bible that God's favorites pick Him. But that's something that's open to all of us. It's not something that's reserved for David. It's not something that's reserved for Abraham. It's not something that's reserved for Jacob. It's not something that's reserved to the great men and women of the Bible. It's something that is our inheritance. When we believe it, we start to step into it. And when we step into it, we start to receive the fullness of his spirit and believing God at his word, just as it was done on Pentecost Sunday, we can be filled with his spirit and start to operate in authority. So there are things that will come against that, and I want to talk about that today, but my message is called the inner battle for the king in training. So there are things that will block us from receiving the fullness of God's blessing. The first thing that we need to do is actually believe that we're worthy because he created us worthy. He created us with a plan and a purpose. And what I've seen is most humans will fall into two types of sin. When we don't know that we are sons of God, we'll we'll either fall into the sin of rebellion which is seeing what we perceive as injustice. God's chosen to bless them, but he's not blessing me. That's not fair, so I'm going to rebel. Or we'll go into the sin of performance, which is like the sin of Jacob that Jacob didn't believe that he was worthy of his father's blessing, so he dressed up like his brother. He put on a mask to receive his father's blessing, receive his father's love. He dressed up like his brother. He probably, it is I, your son Esau, (laughs) probably changed his voice and his dad wasn't buying it. He's like, you sound like Jacob. Is there, what's, his dad asks him so many times, are you sure? And we may think we're doing a pretty good job of pulling off being an imposter. But it's something that actually steals our blessing. Because God created us to fulfill a unique purpose here on earth. And when we're operating in another way, trying to fulfill somebody else's purpose, trying to be blessed by not being ourselves, we actually deny the gift that God put in us, that he wanted to be expressed in the world, that we're all created uniquely to express a unique facet of God here on earth, that all of creation speaks to God's magnificent attributes. And he creates us differently, but he doesn't create us unequally. He creates us each with unique blessings. And I think one of the saddest things in the church is when, the church feels like, the people of the church feel like they need to imitate others in order to receive God's blessing. And so we put on our Sunday best and show up to church saying, oh, we're blessed and highly favored, but it rings empty, like standing in the mirror being like, gosh darn it, people like me. It just feels hollow. But when I know who I am, and I'm in a church, in community, where I'm being discipled, where I'm being fed first, it starts to change me. And understanding the way God works with us has changed dramatically in me as I've become a father. And I've realized that there is Probably more, but there's four steps that I want to talk to you about today, about really stepping into that royal inheritance that God calls us a royal priesthood. And the very first thing that we need to do in order to step into that is realize that we've been doing it wrong. That Jesus said his ministry wasn't to call the righteous, to call those that are all poised, impostering trying to make sure that they look good from the outside. Jesus wasn't calling them, he was actually calling sinners to repentance. And it's such a beautiful thing that in the line through Abraham, it was prophesied that there would be a messianic seed sown through that line. So in every generation, there is a messianic seed, one that carries the seed of the Messiah. But just like Jesus was born into an impossibly difficult situation, God didn't pick the ones that were born through Abraham that were the expected heirs. He didn't pick the Esau, he picked the Jacob. He didn't pick the perfect man's man, he picked the mama's boy that needed to be grown. And there's such a beautiful picture of the desperation of when Jacob got to that desperate place. Because when he stole his brother's inheritance, it didn't bring blessing on him, it didn't bring blessing in the family, it brought devastation. Rebecca in that story is a type of Christ because Jacob said to her before he went and deceived his father, what if my dad finds out that I'm not really Esau? What if he curses me? And Rebecca said, well then let that curse fall on me. She was a type of Jesus in that, in that generation. But then Jacob sees the devastation in his family, is running. And there's a very weird story where at night he wrestled with an angel of the Lord. And he said, I will not let go of you until you bless me. And there's that desperation for blessing that every imposter fields that I need to be blessed. And it got to be so intense for him that he was willing to let his hip be knocked out of place. He was willing to go through serious physical torment in order to receive the blessing of God. But when God put his hip back into place, and even though he walked with a limp, he was like, this limp is going to remind you of that you wrestled with me and you overcame. And so therefore, I'm changing your name from Jacob to Israel. And then he became the father of God's people. And all throughout that line, there are the most unlikely, David, unlikely, so many unlikely, Jesus born to a teenager, Teenager who wasn't married, who was a virgin, unlikely. And who are we to think that we are not worthy of God's blessing because we don't look like what we think is expected of us? So the Bible says that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. And it just struck me as interesting that the devil is called the prince of the power of the air. And the way that we hear is by the air being disturbed, the air being ruffled, like that comes to our ears and we hear. And so the devil has always been trying to control what we hear because he knows that faith comes through hearing and hearing from the word of God. So the first step that really is required to step into your uh, inheritance is that you be fed. And we're in our Truth Bombs series right now, and I want to talk about the blessing of God today. And sometimes people will be given, churches will be given a bad rap for talking about how God wants to prosper his people. All throughout the Bible, God is prospering his people Prosperity is a promise of God, but it's not prosperity to go live lives where you're separated and just become gluttonous, filling yourself up with an overflow that is not flowing out of you, but is like the Dead Sea. Things flow in, but they don't flow out. That we are meant to be blessed to be a blessing, that we need to know that we are blessed. Blessing requires a blessor, but we are blessed to expand God's kingdom here on earth that through us, blessing is meant to flow. And if we learn generosity, like uh, John Soriano so brilliantly spoke about this morning, if we learn generosity first, our blessings will not spoil us. They will not only continue to prosper us, but they will multiply out of us prospering others so that others would do the same. I don't know how many of you realize, but a lot of our pastors aren't even paid that a lot of our pastors, like Jenny and I, are, are volunteers. We don't get paid to preach. We don't get paid to turn up on Sunday. We don't get paid to run the recovery ministry. That we're volunteers. That most pastors give more than they receive. And I had somebody say to me, oh, I went through the parking lot at your church, at your church and all of the pastors are driving Teslas and Mercedes and, and Porsches. Why would I give to that church? Those cars weren't bought with church dollars. That all of the pastors have been blessed in their businesses so that they can be blessings to the church that almost all of us give more than we receive from the church. But we know that we're blessed to bless others, and it's out of the overflow that I get to minister. It's out of the overflow. This is such a gift to be able to do this, to feel like there is something in my life that's become valuable enough that the church wants it to be instilled in others. Does that make sense? So coming into a house, it's it's important that you're being fed the right things. I don't know, did any of you grow up that you need to, to somehow insert, if it be your will, into your prayers? So that line occurs in the Bible, but Jesus only spoke it one time. Jesus didn't constantly say, Father, if it's your will, because he actually knew his father. He was in relationship with him. That if you've grown and matured as a son in a house and you are about your father's business, that you know your father intimately because you've spent your life with him, you can do things with the authority that has been instilled in you, not constantly asking for permission. The only time that Jesus asked if it be your will wasn't for something that he wanted. It was for something that he didn't want. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's like, I think this is the only way that this can work, and I'm willing to go to the cross even though I don't want to. But if if there's any way that this cup could pass from me, if there's any way in my humanity that this could be done another way, please let it be so, but nevertheless, your will, not mine, be done. Jesus never prayed for a sick person and said, Father, let them be well, if it be your will. We know from scripture that God wants us to be in health and to prosper, not only externally, but internally, that he wants us to prosper and be in health just as our soul prospers. So when we're praying for those things, when we're praying for the healing of others, we don't need to say, if it be your will. We declare it, but that starts with hearing. Faith comes through hearing and hearing from the word of God. So the first step is being fed. But after you've fed, just like a little baby has started to be fed on milk, and initially I think God puts little earmuffs on us. So when we're growing in our infancy as children, that what we hear are words of grace spoken constantly. But how many of you know that God's word is grace seasoned with salt? Not that God is salty, but he's also not all sweet. And that there is kindness that draws us to repentance, but there's also like a salt of the earth that matures us as believers that children that are only ever fed milk, that are only ever extended grace, that are never corrected, become spoiled. And the same thing is true for us. That if my wife was still breastfeeding our kids who are almost six and seven years old, it would be weird. Because by now they're meant to be weaned and they're meant to be feeding themselves on solid food. But for any of the parents in the room, you know when you start feeding your kids solid food and then they begin to feed themselves, that it's messy. That as you learn to feed yourself, it's messy. Three quarters of the food ends up on the floor, on the wall, on your face, on your hair, on the chair, on all of these other places, and only a little bit ends up in their (laughs) mouth. But eventually, as they get better at feeding themselves, They start to be able to be sustainable human beings. They don't have to have their parents do everything for them. They start to be able to operate with the authority that their parents have taught them to have over their own lives. The kids are meant to be given agency over their own lives. They're meant to be there with with restraint while they're in the house. We get 18 years to like sew that into them. But our goal as parents is to be able to raise self-sufficient human beings. That you start to be fed, and then you learn to feed yourself, and eventually you start to feed others. And that's the maturing of a believer. But a lot of churches that only talk about God's grace will keep their congregation dependent on the pastors. And this is a church of raising and releasing. You know, there's many people that'll come to me and I'm happy to pray for them. But when they come to me constantly saying, God, pray for me, my mom's sick. I'm happy to agree with them, but I also long for the day when they're able to go into that hospital hospital room and declare themselves spirit of infirmity, go. We know that our Father wants us to be in health and to prosper just as our soul prospers. So I'm declaring healing, I'm declaring health, I'm declaring that the best years lie ahead, that this isn't the end, that it's a beginning, that what the enemy intended for evil, God is going to use for good in this situation. Though he didn't will sickness, he didn't put sickness in the earth, that he can use this situation for good. What the enemy was going to do to take my mom out, God, he's going to bless her through it and bless others through it. When you start to declare, when you actually start to know what God's will is for your life and the authority that you carry, you don't have to pray weak prayers anymore. You can start praying declarative prayers that move heaven. There's a teaching in some religious churches that God's will is absolute. But if you look through scripture, Prayer and the men of God praying powerful prayers have moved the heart and the hand of God all throughout history. You know, if you look at the the story of Jonah in the Bible, God gave Jonah an assignment to go to Nineveh to declare that God's wrath was coming on the city of Nineveh and that the city of Nineveh was going to be destroyed. Jonah wasn't sent there to call them to repentance, and he didn't have an out in his declaration. He just said, you guys are exceedingly sinful, and God is going to wipe you off the planet. But the king heard that, and he called the city, the entire city, even the animals, to fast. Put on sackcloth and ashes, even on the livestock, and the city fasted, and it moved the heart and the hand of God. And Jonah was upset about it because he wanted the wrath of God to come on Nineveh. But we see it all throughout scripture that God wasn't lying when he told Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh. Because if he had left out that important part that my, my wrath is coming on the city of Nineveh and he told, he would have both called Jonah to sin and he would have made himself a liar. But when the people prayed and the people moved, God's heart moved with them and his plans changed. That we're in a moment that is unique in eternity. We're in time. And God opened time and will close time, but it's like heaven's open enrollment period. And there's things that happen in time that won't happen in eternity that in eternity it's settled. And my like human mind, as much as I'm able to think about like complex things, I can't quite wrap my head around what eternity will be like. Is there time in eternity or is everything just existent and happening all at once? Like everything that will be and was and is is happening all at the same time? Is like, that's how, I mean, I don't even know. It's like gnarly. But what I do understand is that there is this opening in eternity, where in eternity past, it was God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in relationship with themselves in the Trinity. But he opened time to expand his family and to let us in. But he didn't just save us for eternity. He wants to see his will be done here on earth. That God created us from love and for love, but in order for there to be love, he has to give us free will. Because if he only created us with the ability to choose him back, it wouldn't be love. We would be like robots. That my daughter and my son, I love with all of my heart. But I know that at some point when they turn 18 and they're allowed to leave the house that they're going to have the opportunity to choose whether or not to continue in relationship with me. And I pray with all of my heart that they would never leave our house, that they would be about our family for all of the days of my life and into the generations that will come through them. But I can't control that on my own power And the more I would try to do that on my own strength, the more it would probably push them away. So my only choice on this side of eternity while I have them in my house is to love them well. And that's the same way that God does things with us, that he loves us well, that he gives us the opportunity to choose things that aren't him. He gives us the opportunity to fail. But... He doesn't reject us. He always provides a path home. So the final thing that I wanted to say is that when you're really operating in this, you start to be able to operate as an heir. And knowing that you have an inheritance, not just in the future that you are saved, that you're going to heaven, but you also have an inheritance here on earth. That an inheritance coming for from a parent or coming through a family is to bless the child's life while they are alive. To receive an inheritance usually means that the person who is giving the inheritance has died. But in their death, the ones that are remaining are blessed and God wants us to live with the inheritance that he intended for us that Christ came and lived and died so that we would be able to operate with the inheritance that was meant to come to us from the beginning does that make sense so i know that some of us today are operating in a way that we're that we've been in rebellion maybe just in subtle ways that we know god's word we know his truth but nevertheless we choose our own will over his thinking that somehow we'll be able to bless ourselves in the process. There's other ones that have been living as imposters, that they've been trying to put on the good church suit and suit up and show up and say all the right things and memorize all the right scriptures so that they appear to be holy when in their heart they don't feel connected to God. So I'd love everybody to bow their head and close their eyes. And if you feel like you're in either of those two categories today, either you've been in rebellion in subtle ways, saying, God, I'm willing to give you part of my life, but not all of my life. I'm not willing to follow your will in every area. Or you've been saying, God, I just feel so distant from you. I'm hoping if I just do better that you'll accept me. I want to pray for you today. So, if there's anybody like that in here, at the count of three, I just want you to lift up your hand so I can include you in a prayer. One, two, three. Is there anybody like that in here today? God bless you. 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 God bless you up the back. God bless you over on the side. So while every eye is still closed and every head is still bowed, I just want you to join me in prayer. And for everybody that raised their hand and for anybody who didn't raise their hand, God says that when we are accepted into heaven, we are, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And I want us to be the witnesses to everybody who is praying today, amen. So just repeat after me, Father God, I thank you that you so loved me that you sent your one and only begotten son on a rescue mission to save me. But God, I know you didn't stop there, that you also sent him to restore my inheritance and my authority here on earth. Father God, today I declare that heaven is my home, that God is my father. But on earth, while I'm here, I accept the mantle of authority that you've placed on me. God, I thank you that you've brought me into a church that will disciple me in community and to teach me to grow to be a mature believer. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com